what I planned at the beginning was not what we became in that whole process. And I never would have imagined us to be to become or do what the type of things we were doing. But as I look at the end of it, I go, wow, there was some amazing stuff. There was some good stuff that happened here, some positive ways to social shalom in a community. And I sometimes my Facebook post or profile, I think I still have it on there where I call myself an accidental humanitarian because I did not. You know, our focus became working with people experiencing homelessness, but that was not what we wanted to, we were thinking we would do for the beginning. I was doing like alpha groups, trying to get millennials involved in discussion groups, house churches, things like that. And we, we had some people that connected with us early on in those ways, but there was a point where we started to develop our identity and it became more about serving other people. And that's where, um, we came up with the name Diakonos Community because taking the Greek word for those who serve others, Diakonos, um, that we became a community of people who serve others. Welcome to In the Room with Communitas North America. It's a time when we invite you to enter our world for a brief conversation and hear more about what we are passionate about as a missional and microchurch network. We also hope that these conversations will inspire you to think about new ways of being the church in North America. I am Leon Longard, the team lead for Communitas North America. My co-host in these conversations is James Cola. So grab yourself a favorite beverage, have a seat, and join us around the table. Hey guys. Welcome to In the Room with Communitas. We hope that these events uh, serve to kind of give a picture of who we are and what we're about at Communitas North America. We also really hope that these conversations bring inspiration and encouragement and just like provoke creativity in all of us about what it means to be the church and pursue Jesus's mission. Um, I'm James and you guys know our guest today. It's Leon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's the funny part here. Yeah. It's kind of shifting roles a bit. We're still going to like format like we normally do where like I take, I'll ask a couple questions and then Leon will ask a couple questions, but he'll just be asking himself questions. It'll get, well, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> no, I was, <laughs> Oh, this is going to be fun. This is gonna uh, be fun. <laughs> but, Leon, I know we did this a little bit early on, but would you just share a little bit of your story with us? Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, yeah, back when we first did the first episode, we kind of both did a little bit of an introduction for ourselves and kind of the work we we're doing um, or our connections with Communitas, how we got involved. But, um, with this episode, I think because we're wanting to kind of focus more on what we talked about two weeks ago, the practice and maturing and how did that practically work out with the community we were leading in Indianapolis. Um, and so kind of put a little bit more detail, a little bit more meat to the story. And, you know, when I think a lot about 
what became what we call Diakonos community in, in Indianapolis. Um, the, you know, there's a, there's a quote, and I believe actually Dudley Callison, our former president, had posted it once on a Facebook group for staff with Communitas, and it was something Seth Godin had posted, basically that 10-year plans are absurd, that you make like a, you need to really just make a 10-year commitment and kind of just see what kind of an impact you can have. And, you know, I think about that now, and I think about when we first moved to central Indiana, because we're not originally from there, um, you know, we in total spent 14 years in central Indiana, 12 of those in Indianapolis. And, you know, when I think back to it, I, I always think, you know, what I planned at the beginning was not what we became in that whole process. And I never would have imagined us to be to become or do what the type of things we were doing. But as I look at the end of it, I go, wow, there was some amazing stuff. There was some good stuff that happened here, some positive ways to social home in a community. And I sometimes my Facebook post or profile, I think I still have it on there where I call myself an accidental humanitarian because I did not. Yeah, you know, our focus became working with people experiencing homelessness, but that was not what we wanted to, we were thinking we would do for the beginning. I was doing like alpha groups, trying to get millennials involved in discussion groups, house churches, things like that. And we, we had some people that connected with us early on in those ways, but there was a point where we started to develop our identity and it became more about serving other people. And that's where, um, we came up with the name Diakonos Community because taking the Greek word for those who serve others, Diakonos, um, that we became a community of people who serve others. Kind of before that, just kind of, you know, give a little bit more background. I came from a college campus ministry background, spent a lot of time doing camp, local campus ministry here in Minnesota, which, by the way, that's where we are now. Uh, and then also uh, working for a regional or an area office uh, in Indiana when we first were down there. And it was after that that we began to transition into what became Diakonos and really the transition that brought us to Communitas um, eventually. And But we had tried missional things before. Um, here, when um, we were living in Minneapolis before Indianapolis, I helped a friend try to start a missional church. And we brought in a group of people. It was all trying to work with people who were who were used to a prevailing model church. And I think we weren't really sure, clear how we do this. And um, it and we struggled to ever really successfully complete it. And that never really took off. But then as circumstances progressed, that's when we started to try something a little different in Indianapolis. And in that, lo and behold, in that process, I discover communitas, and I begin to discover a language that kind of helps describe what we were trying to do, and it helped create some uh, a better sense of how we go about being the church in a community, and how we how we just look at how do we focus on mission first and programs and um, our strategy second and things like that. And so, you know, we started to gather together a group of people 
we start before we ever got involved with homelessness, we were um, the local high school was trying to start a food pantry and I was part time um, an instructional assistant there and I was going to work with the special education department, but they were going through budget struggles and not able to find a uh, um, not able to fund it at the time. But they had a bunch of food that they collected in this food pantry they were going to have. And so I was like, well, hey, maybe I can get a few people from our group to come and help and we can get it set up. And there was a church we based out of and some of the people from there helped out as well. And um, we just said, hey, let's let's see what happens here. And we just started helping get the food pantry going. And it was at that point that I think we started to develop that idea about serving other people. And in the process, people would come to volunteer and some of those people would volunteer with us. And then they, we were doing a every other week Bible study on the side with that. And they would start coming with us to the Bible study and we just start to create a community. Well, eventually that um, food pantry option, um, the school district found, finally had the funding to staff it and work on a whole program. And so we just really didn't see that ourselves being a part of that long term anymore. So we were making a transition and we got involved with um, a local outreach that was going out to camps where people were experiencing homelessness on a Sunday afternoon, bringing food and basic supplies there. And we started to feel like that was our next step in partnering with, because our whole goal was to partner with other community organizations and bring Jesus with us in that. And that was the whole embedding and initiating stuff that we did. And so as we transitioned into um, more of a focus on homelessness, we began to get very strongly involved with volunteering. We were like twice a week going out once or twice, a, or not twice a week, once or twice a month going out on Sundays as one of the main volunteer teams. And then also, um, we would occasionally on a Saturday do our own thing, just setting up a grill and having a little picnic out at one of the camps or something like that, just interacting with people, more relationship type stuff. And it was interesting because we had kind of this interesting mix of a community. It wasn't just suburban professional people going to help the needy or something like that. But we had a lot, a core of our community was also people who were experiencing, who had disabilities uh, of various types. Um, and so it's kind of this interesting crew of people that would just go down um, and drive around in a van. And I had to do a lot of the driving because not many people in our group and our team drove. And we would just have this fellowship that would happen in the van as we're going around. And then we go hit a coffee shop that a friend of mine had um, was running and we just sit and chat about it and built a relationship with the people in the coffee shop. And they were, they were part of our circle without actually ever fully joining the group. Um, we're still good friends with those people as well. Um, but it was kind of this, we built this community that was very loose, very um, unstructured, but yet in the midst of it, we always experienced church. Um, and um, then eventually we got involved with some other projects. We started to see some things happen where we were looking for needs in the community that the people who were 
um, experiencing homelessness and the people that were serving the people experiencing homelessness that we hadn't quite seen um, success in yet. And so we got involved in um, helping initiate a team that would start not all of all the this, this was more through networking, but a team that launched um, a project, an initiative to start the first tiny house house village in Indianapolis for those experiencing homelessness. And then another thing that started to develop for us as a as a missional community was we started to notice as people, you know, everybody was focusing on, hey, we want to go bring food to the homeless. We want to go help the homeless. And they all want to go out on the street. But then we would see, we'd hear that people would get housed and then they were kind of living in isolation in these apartments. And the city was opening up what they considered their first housing first model um, apartment building. They had done other housing before that, but this was the first effort to do like a permanent supportive housing. And they, um, we were helping collect items for, we were working with some of the um, service providers and helping collect items for the, the apartments because they were gonna be fully furnished, but they didn't have all the little appliances and the things you need in a kitchen. And so we, we said, yeah, we'll help collect them. We, and we're bringing it, we're dropping it off. off. And one of the social workers um, who, who I'd been, become a friend with, she's like, you know, we've been talking, we need to maybe have some type of a meal here every once in a while. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, I think this is next for us. <laughs> and uh, so we just said, yeah, we could probably work that into our schedule. And so we would rotate one week. We'd go once a month. We'd still go out to the camps and another once a month we'd do something at the apartment building. But that started to build where we started to get more involved as people transitioned into housing. We wanted to help the city create community in the apartment buildings. Uh, there's so many things that I want to celebrate and like conversations I want to have like in in all of that um one of the like things that seems really notable to me and that is um it sounds like you guys were partnering with like a lot of groups in Indianapolis um and I just I'm curious like how were those connections made? How how was that a possibility for you guys? Well, I mean, and it was. I mean, it was multi-layered. I mean, um, and some of that came out of. I mean, I'm naturally a networker. I I I'm a connector. I I do like to see. You know, there's the you know in community tests we do the strength finder stuff as part of our onboarding and stuff like that. And I was discovering, you know, in that whole doing the strength finders, like connectedness was one of my top five. And I was like, yeah, I can definitely see that. And um, so I mean, part of it was just learning to look for this. We we're just intentional about we're not going to do our own thing. We want to cooperate with people who are already doing it and not feel like, oh, we got to start our own ministry or something like that. I think a lot of times when churches approach the idea of, oh, well, we're going to start helping, you know, refugees, or we're going to start helping the homeless, or we're going to start helping, um, you know, people that are in poverty or whatever. They're like, so we need to start a program where they come to our building to get help. And we were just committed to the idea that, no, we need to work with other people 
to be see how we can create shalom together with those in the city that we can partner with. And, um, you know, in Jeremiah, everybody likes to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I got plans for you to prosper you and all that stuff. And they forget the part, the context of it, that Jeremiah is writing this letter to the exiles in Babylon. And he's saying, be a part of the community. You're going to be there for a while. So get in, just, you know, be, be followers of Yahweh. Don't get into their idolatry, but look at how you can bless the city. And we need to, we call that sowing shalom. And that's the word he used in that context. And we, we really committed to that. And I think that's critical because so often a lot of times, in fact, this, when we first got involved with, um, issues related to homelessness, there was a lot of divisiveness going on between the city and the faith-based groups and the professional service outreach people, yeah. the social workers. And there was a lot of distrust happening. A lot of that revolved around one particular camp that was closed at that time. Um, and as I was watching this and seeing all this fighting back and forth, I was like, we all need to just kind of humble ourselves a little bit and learn to work with each other and find what, what's, what our common values are. What can we agree on? We may not agree on everything, but there's gotta be things that we can agree on and we can work together with. And, you know, and so that's what we started to think about is how can we work with the professional service providers, work with and connect with the city. I'm not much of a politics guy. I don't like <laughs> politics, but uh, I was like, well, I got to get to know politicians every once in a while if some of these things are actually going to happen. Um, and at the same time, even though we, we didn't want to be, um, you know, we didn't want to be combative and we didn't want to be like, just take the assumption that government's bad or anything like that, a distrust government. We had to also be willing to occasionally say, you know what? I think that you're you're not doing things right here and i think you're you know when when injustice happens you have to be willing to still say something yeah um but you don't have to make that the starting point yeah um and the other thing is we learned to be well researched you know particularly when it came to the tiny house village you know people were constantly coming to talking to different politicians. Oh yeah, I want to start a tiny house village or they, they saw it on the news. They saw it in a YouTube video. And I was like, if we're going to do this, we need to make sure we do it well. We need to research it well. Where has it been working well? And we need to understand everything. So when we actually went through the zoning process, I mean, it was, and it was a close vote still, but the city planners, um said in the process they're like you know people have come to us with this idea all the time but we're always kind of like yeah not not here but you've researched this better than anybody and i think maybe you guys need a chance to do it and wow. so that's cool i think we have to value doing things with quality when we're going to work with the community with the city um and they're not always going to agree i mean we 
you know, they're still kind of, they look at the tiny house village as kind of like, well, yeah, but yeah, partly because, you know, there's studies out there of other ways that you're supposed to address homelessness. And they're like, oh, you're not in the studies yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I hear the studies are coming out. <laughs> so not us specifically, but I mean, academia in general is starting to put out more studies on, but I meant that was kind of the whole approach. And I think in that part of that is we also saw the professionals that were serving our friends experiencing homelessness as part of our mission. Yeah. Part of our, our, our purpose in being involved, you know, where we could, you know, I became friends with a lot of them um, over the years and have been able to like, when they're having down days, encourage them and things like that. Um, because we've all experienced the same thing of the struggle of working with people that are experiencing homelessness and the challenges that go with it. And it was, there was one really cool event that happened. Um, we were at the time meeting in this co-work space where I was using co-work, the co-work, and then we would use they let they threw in letting us use the conference room, but we could actually spread out over the whole floor on Sunday nights for our gathered meeting every other week. And um, there was a couple that we were that we had really gotten to know really well that was living in one of the camps, actually right across the street from where the tiny or where the co-work space was uh, when that opened up, and they, um, everybody got to know them. They were part of, a lot of us really cared about them a lot. They went along with one other guy. One other guy had been in their camp, had been hit by a car, won a lawsuit, you know, got an insurance settlement. So he bought a van and they headed down to Florida. They're like, we're not doing another winter here. And so they moved to Florida and they're camping out in Jacksonville. Um, and uh, that was the spring, that following spring, summer was when Hurricane Irma came through. And they were, um, they were one of the five victims. The two of them were two or two of the five victims in Jacksonville. They were found in their tent. Uh, they drowned. Uh, the other guy had left the camp, but they hadn't. And um, when we had the memorial for them, it, I mean, it was just one of those things where we knew that this was one of those deaths where it really was hitting everybody hard. Everybody was, the, the word began to spread. You know, I got the phone call from the guy that they went down there. And so we're like, you know, we need to call people together. And we just had a, a memorial time that we facilitated for it. Had about 25 people in the room. People that would typically not sit down in a room with each other, all in a circle social workers, faith-based outreach leaders, people that were actually still experiencing homelessness or just transitioned out of homelessness, all sitting in a circle, sharing their, their memories. And we were able to facilitate um, a memorial with, you know, sharing just the hope we have in Jesus. And it was just, it was just one of those special moments where you bring people together and as you're committed to sowing shalom, you just don't know who you're going to connect with and how you can even connect yeah. people to each other. So, 
I think that's something that is easy to miss in serving is like how it becomes relational, like not only with the people whose meat or needs you're seeking to meet, but with the people that you're doing that alongside those just like really meaningful bonds yeah. are formed yeah. in that space. Um, yeah. I also just think for call to imitate Jesus being a servant, what a cool way to do that, to like find the beautiful things that other people are doing and figure out how we can serve right in the midst, like in the midst of what they're doing. Just really, it's cool. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it is. I think we have to affirm what people um, are that we share a common commonality with. We share a common humanity with, you know, kind of on that front, you know, the, Circle City Village, the tiny house village that we're working on. People are always asking, are you guys faith-based and all that? Because there's people involved in churches. We're building yeah. on the property of church that's owned by a church. And we're always like, no, we're faith-friendly, but we're not we're not faith-based. And we actually, I mean, the the diversity of experiences of the people on that board and on that team, I mean, we have people who would probably say they're not connected with any church or yeah. nuns in some way. Uh, we were having a team building event and one of the team members was like, yeah, I'm kind of unique here. I'm a Buddhist. And I was like, I never knew what her background was before that, but I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like, you know, we, we just realized there's that commonality that we share all being created in the image of God. And then if we fo start to focus on that more, yeah, we can bring the beauty of Jesus into the relationship without um, actually kind of interesting. I just read a uh, post of this uh, a couple of days ago, but there was, I'm reading a devotional on social justice by uh, Stephen Matson, And there's one of them recently where he, he talked about, you know, all the things when you try to just bring people together and you don't put the expectations on people. You don't put the strings on. And some people are kind of like, some people, one friend and I kind of dialogued about it a little bit afterwards because, like, it, that last phrase is without the expectation of conversion. Oh, we're, we're, we're supposed to share the gospel. <laughs> but we don't have to put the strings on it. Yeah. But that, yeah, hey, uh, yeah, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to help you out or I'm going to work with you on this, but gotta let me tell you about Jesus type of thing so and I think it's an issue that like I hear a lot of young people being uncomfortable with right now is like oh are those are those people like just doing that to like sell people on their God I've had a lot of like as I talk about like the missional church I've had a lot of Christians like give me that <clears throat> pushback. And I think when we have a desire, I mean, it goes back to the Jeremiah passage that you're talking about. We have a desire to seek the welfare of the people around us that just comes from a recognition of their value. Yeah, we hope, we hope that they fall in love with Jesus because we know how good that is. 
Right. We also appreciate the value of them just experiencing the comfort of a home or the goodness of friendship and it's just valuable to recognize that those things are important without any other agenda. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I think really worth celebrating in your story, um, it sounds like Diakonos had a lot of economic diversity within the community, which is so cool. I think that's something that I really desire to see in the church that I belong to right now. And I'm excited when I do see it. It's like, oh, this isn't just a bunch of upper middle class Mm -hmm. us people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, I also recognize, I'm sure there were challenges to that. How did you contextualize like diaconos in a way that, you know, helped everyone belong? And um, it's that's really important. And I think um, one thing in another book is um, submerge. Uh, by John Haynes, I think is the name. Actually, the funny part is this quote I got from Missional Essentials quoting John Haynes out of Submerge. I need to read Submerge, but I, I, I love this quote enough that I go, I, I love this book just for this. Um, but um, he basically said, you know, we can spend our whole lives trying to help the poor. And we can, we can, just go in with, we're going to start doing stuff for the poor and we'll get 10 years down the road and we'll still be doing the same stuff. Never. And just kind of be a pleasant, well, a a not so, you know, a tolerated guest because of the services we provide, or we can start with the goal of befriending people that are poor and together come up with the solutions. And that's something that stuck with me. Uh, I've quoted it many times. Some of our core people still quote it quite a bit, or they'll I'll I'll post it on Facebook. I'll say, "Man, this stuff this is still so good." And you know, Cole, one of our core, core guys, will be like, "Yeah, yeah, man, I still remember that. I think about that regularly." Um, but you know, we just we really had to commit ourselves to getting rid of that us and them thinking and getting rid of the idea that somehow it's us serving them. Because I think so often when we think of charity, particularly when you come from suburban circles, you, it, it builds that idea of, Oh yeah, I'm just doing this. It, I don't want to say that there people would say, Oh yeah, I'm just doing that. But it, it kind of feels like this. I, you know, I'm serving yeah, because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. In fact, we would take volunteers. I started working with uh, Food for Souls, the outreach organization we work with. I became their outreach advocate for a while. It was like my part-time job in addition to leading diaconos. And it kind of really worked well together to almost be like a full-time ministry thing. And we would take people out occasionally. And it's like they would you got this feel like they were just 
we were creating an experience for them. And they always talk about voyeurism and, uh, and uh, volunteerism and things like that. Those words come up. And to me, I was like, we got to break our habit of that. We got to, we got to, we are friends. They are our friends and we can learn from them. They can learn that we together, we come up with the solutions. And so we really made a point of including people, particularly when we started to do um, the meals in the, in the apartment buildings, um, we would include the people in the decision process. Um, in the in the in the apartment buildings, we would do um, generally a the way we, people are always like, well, you can't preach the gospel in a or you can't do religious stuff in a federally subsidized apartment building or something like that. Or you and we talked to the management. And they're like, well, provide the food for everybody and then give pe- let people decide if they want to stick around for a Bible study or something, you know, Bible study or whatever you know type of thing. And that's what we would do and. Um, but as we did it, um, we would have, what we did is we would serve, serve food and then we would just say, Hey, you want to stick around for, uh, we just call it a simple church time and we would do worship and we do, um, music or music worship. We pray, do a lot of discussion, things like that. Yeah. And, um, we just included the people in the process of deciding when it came to music, you know, we had a lot of people, you know, the majority of our team were white, but when we were in the apartments, we were often the minority. Uh, a lot of the people living in the apartments, uh, because Indianapolis, like a lot of those cities, um, the black population is disproportionately experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the people living in the building were black. And so we would just made a point of like listening to, they would say, Hey, like, it was really cool. Some of our team would sit down and one woman, they would sit around table together and, um, they would just listen to music in general together and they started to pick up on what she liked and we incorporated it in the music time. And cause she loved gospel. She loved, you know, I'm a acoustic folksy type of guy. That's, that's the type of music I like, but we had a lot of people who liked, who liked, you know, traditional gospel music. Um, and I'm like, you know what, we're going to incorporate that into our worship. And we included them in that in the process of deciding it. Uh, we treated everybody as equals. Everybody had a role yeah. in contributing. Um, we would, at the end of our meetings, um, we would take the um, part because I think we wanted to create an environment where we're constantly discipling people and, and, and forming people spiritually. Um, we, I, I did not grow up in a liturgical background, but we made it part of our liturgy that we quoted a faith statement at the end. Mm-hmm. And we just simply took the diakonos or, or the communitas seven point statement of faith. And we would, we would take turns reading it. We would like one would read one and they, everybody in it, we couldn't not do it. If I would forget, if I'd wrap it up, I'd say, hey, okay, we're going to next week or, or two weeks, we're going to. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Forgot this. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, we could not not do it because everybody enjoyed having their opportunity. Well, most everybody. There were a couple of people who their reading skills were not there, and we just graciously would move past them. But, um, you know, we just everybody enjoyed having the opportunity to take a turn reading. 
And I was like, you know what? We're all there. We're all in it together. Um, and making sure that we included people in the questions too. Like we made sure we everybody had the opportunity to respond. We had one guy um, who, you know, I talk about we do a discussion style. It kind of, in the end, it started to feel like a lot of these people were also involved with 12-step meetings. And so it would feel like a 12-step meeting in some ways. I mean, to them, it just felt normal, like to sit around in a circle and talk about life, talk about a, a short teaching. And um, this one guy in particular at one of our buildings, and he would come to our house and he'd join us for house church at our house or different locations where we were meeting at times, became one of our regulars towards the end. Um, Rodney was his name. And he would, uh, he was just, it was just a valuable friendship to have with him. And he would, Tina wants to joke, he said, because he was like there faithfully, he would always help us set up, he would help us cook food, help involved in the cooking of the food, always making sure everybody's signing in and the sign in book, things like that. And we're like, Rodney is like the best deacon we got here. But then he would, uh, or sharing, or was coming prayer at the time, he would like ask if he could have permission to pray or what he say, Hey, can I, can I do pray now? And he would start it pretty much like when you introduce yourself at a 12 step meeting, it was like, Hello, I'm Rodney, and I've been. I came. I mean, I'm here just to talk about, share about Jesus, and celebrate my Jesus. And I'm going to pray about that. And it was just, it created this environment where everybody felt, um, like they had a role. Yeah. And they were important. One woman, Joyce, her thing was, she would fold the napkins and hand it out to everybody. <laughs> She'd like make sure everybody had a napkin, and. We were always, it's like, that's your part, things like that. So it's like, we just made a point of including everybody and not saying, hey, we're the ones serving you. When we serve the meal, we made a point of, I mean, COVID, we had to change it for, but we would put the food out and people could serve themselves. And we just sat around a table together and ate together. Yeah, yeah. we also people would start to say, Hey, I want to bring something. And we like go for it. And it was a great food that we got to eat one time. Okay. So now I'm a pescatarian. <laughs> you know, I, I only eat fish. And this was after I kind of shifted. And this one woman was like, Oh, I just made some greens. You got to have my collard greens. Like, okay. I will. But don't you have bacon in it? Yeah, but that doesn't mix. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to have some. And I was like picking the bacon up, but I'm not thinking, I'm thinking in the back of my, I know the grease is. Yeah. In there. And I got about halfway through it and my stomach was kind of like, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy these collard greens. <laughs> uh, and it was just, it was, it was just a sense of everybody could be a part. Anybody could contribute. Yeah. And we are not, we're not here to serve you. We are here to be together and to, to fellowship together. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really valuable. Just like when we, I think one, particularly with the population living on the streets, when we're able to like treat them with the humanity that they ought to be treated with, it's very powerful. When I was 
doing case management stuff, we, it was about, it was like pulling teeth, trying to get people to, to sit down and have a meal with people living on the streets. But we're like, Hey, we don't want you standing behind a table, like serving food. We want you sitting down and building friendships. And that act in itself, I think just reminds the individual of the humanity of the person right. who they're eating with. Um, but also I think it's really, really powerful in church, whether it be with people who are very different than us or not, just treating them as if it is a privilege to give to them and it is a privilege to receive from them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think we have to remember. We can receive as much from others as we feel like we can give them. You know, some of our people would talk about they they would spend time at the faith-based mission in town and or they were in the program for a while or something like that. And they would every week they had to get on a bus and go with everybody from the mission or a group of them would go and they'd go to a different church. And it's like they they just felt like they were always a spectacle. It was like, oh, here's the section where you can, and it was all about, oh, look at the people we're yeah. having through so and so. And um, I was, and they're like, yeah, we get to hang out with you and just be us. And it's not, yeah. you know, it was it just it was a different feel for them. Which is what we want so badly, like as personally from community. Like we just want places where we feel like we belong and we're one, that we're valuable enough to be generous towards and two, that we're valuable enough that people like want to like hear from us and learn from us and receive from our gifts. Yeah. I love that. Well, we had, we had a time once, you know, where uh, one of our daughters had a birthday coming up, but one of our guys in the community was gifted artist, really good. Um, and part of his whole life recovery was continually rediscovering his art and, and re rediscovering what he could do. And so one time we were just like, you know what? Uh, So-and-so's birthday's coming up. One of the girls was had a birthday coming up. And she was kind of really into Star Wars. Well, she still is into Star Wars. And we took a couple of, like, we gave her, we pulled together a couple of examples for him. And she also really liked horses. <laughs> so, and so uh, he, he created this painting for her or color drawing, color pencil drawing of her riding a horse, looking like basically a star Wars bounty hunter or something like that. That's awesome. And it was just, it, is, it was just, and we paid him for it, you know, but it was like, you know, that just is kind of the, Hey, you're part of the family type of a thing. Yeah. Another thing I was wanting to hear from you on is, uh, what were some of the practices that you guys felt were essential at Diakonos? Um, well, I think, you know, within Communitas, we have the same mantra. We're like community or communion, community mission. We talked about it last or two weeks ago with um, Mike and Bethany. Yeah. You know, that wherever you have those three things happening, that's the functions. Those are the essential functions. We have life transforming communion with God, 
whole life community. And that really did become a part of it, you know, where people could feel free to come over and have uh, a board game night with us and things like that. Um, and that you have a sense of mission together, that you're on mission together. And that happened a lot through our serving and stuff like that. But, you know, the, what we did, like we would have a teaching time and we, it was more, like I said before, it was more discussion oriented than sermon oriented. I think if I started to preach too long, people would start chiming in like, Hey, uh, Hey, I'm wondering about this and all that. And you know what? We were just used to it. And we were, it was fun. I was like, that was my cue. Oh, yeah, you're going too long. <laughs> uh, we made a point of eating together, which I talked about before. We had parties yeah. quite often. Um, some of the cool events, and these would involve even the staff in these buildings. Uh, I really good. We had a really good relationship with one of the social workers that was at this one apartment building. We'd start the, the first one we started working at, and we would talk back and forth about, hey, what about you know, what would be, and, and one time she's like, we need to do something for Memorial Day weekend. And so we just had a big Memorial Day weekend picnic. Her and her kids, her kids, her husband were there, and we just set up, and our people were there, and we just all sat together, and it's a fenced-off parking lot, and we would just, we grilled food, and, you know, I actually just got in an outdoor stove, and I was cooking it up, cooking up burgers on the griddle and stuff like that. And we just had fun cooking together. Um yeah, but we would have parties. We would do Christmas parties in these places with the people that we were, we were with. Um, one of the Christmas parties, one of the guys was a guitar player. So we said, hey, why don't you play some songs at the party? And then another, and, oh, we brought our keyboard too. And Tina was playing keyboard. And then one of the guys in the building was like, man, I, I love to sing. Can I join you? And he was, he, Tina and him were, uh, working together playing you know he she was playing and he was singing along christmas song so we just kind of you know and we would do music worship um and we talked about that how we brought that together um you know we always had that statement of faith in there and we we used a lot of the bible project videos and stuff as explainer opportunities um it was interesting because we would call it simple church and one of my guys said this he goes we call it simple church. That's because you really do make it simple. You make it, we didn't dumb it down. I mean, I, we would talk about some pretty challenging stuff. Yeah. But we just put it in a way that it was like, where people could feel like they could understand it and just take it, take the Bible for what it is, not try to create this complex theology out of it. Um, and to, to really, um, just let people discover the word on their own. And, you know, we would use the mantras, you know, like from Bible project, you know, one, one big story that leads to Jesus. And we kind of keep bringing that back up. We were always flexible with the location. It's not, you know, people get caught up with like a building. Oh, we gotta be in this building. Or we got, you know, or we got to meet on Sunday morning. We were flexible with the time. I think we met on yeah. Sunday morning, maybe twice in, in the course of six, seven years. Um, you know, the locations changed. We would be in an apartment building for a while. The COVID hit, we had to figure out how can we, we struggled for a long time because all the community rooms in the apartment buildings were shut down, but we found ways that we could still distribute food 
and eventually found ways that we could at least get the core people together um, in different settings, like if we met outside or outside the building or something like that. Um, so we found ways to kind of create opportunities to still connect with each other relationally. And um, I was thinking about what essential practices, it was something else that was kind of crossing my mind. I think we also, one important thing we always remembered is that we would change, we, we, we made it a point to kind of rethink our expectations and not feel like we had to have, you know, dramatic conversions and stuff like that. We kind of just realized we have to be comfortable with letting people move on their own pace, all that. And sometimes people would join us. We had some people that would come and they would be fairly, we we're pretty sure they were, were intoxicated or something like that. And they would kind of just go on for a bit. And we're like, you know what? Hey, let's just listen to it. Let's, you know, just keep them involved in the conversation. So, um, but we just always kind of made a point of let's do some, something in a way that's interactive. And we had communion. We, we brought, we would do communion in it too. Um, we took all the things that we would commonly think of as worship and we brought them into the environments where people were. And that was something that we were committed to. And it wasn't always easy. I mean, we, um, you know, but we, we, we made a commitment to, we want to be where people are and we want to get involved in the environment. And one of the buildings, the second building we started to work with had some major, um, it was not the easiest building to be in. Uh, people were breaking in all the time. I'd walk down the hallway and somebody had slept in the laundry room and then decided they couldn't get into the staff bathroom. So they would just, you you know, leave everything on the door or right outside the door at the staff bathroom in the hallway. I walked down the hallway and I'd smell this stuff and I'd be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> but you, you just we needed to really be clear that we were in their environment and it, it was challenging at times. It's like, you know, that building also had some bug issues Yeah, and I had to develop a routine for coming home to, you know, when the bed bug, just to make sure I wasn't bringing bed bugs with me home because Indianapolis has a big bed bug issue. And um, some of these buildings, these buildings, we would, I, I, you would see them there in the building and, just had to remember to kind of follow some procedures in order to try to not bring that into our home life. Yeah. But, and some people would actually freak out about that and they were like, Oh no, I can't go there. And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't, it's not, these are people we love. Yeah. These are our friends. Yeah. And we need to keep entering their world. Yeah. And not judge their world. And and see how can we be the light? How can we raise their humanity yeah. in their world? I think the, I wanna apply the term like servanthood very broadly. Like the things I do for the people who are just like me are often servanthood the same as the things I do for people who are very different than me, but we just need to, I 
think recall that like Jesus was willing to like make such significant sacrifices in order to serve the people that were his friends. Well, yeah, yeah. The poop yeah. off of people's feet. <laughs> and it and you didn't. You don't. It doesn't when it's friendship. It doesn't feel like sacrifice. Um, it's just these this, these are my friends, and I want to be with them. You know, one yeah. other thing we did regularly is we put retreats into our cycle. Oh yeah. And we would even we would try to if sometimes a lot of times this worked better with like a day retreat because it was hard to have people from our apartment buildings coming out and staying overnight. Sometimes we did have that happen, um, but. Um, to get people out from the city and out from a lot of these apartment buildings, there's concrete everywhere. And to get people out into the country was just yeah. a refreshing and relaxing thing for them. And there was one that was really, I thought like we really hit it well. Um, and that actually was an overnight retreat. We had people, you know, like I said, we got people that were dealing with developmental disabilities. We had people that were transitioning out of homelessness, people that were dealing with addiction issues and recovery from addiction. We had people that lived in, you know, suburban Indianapolis, suburban parts of Indianapolis. And we came together for this retreat at this one state park, had cabins that people, I think we had like three cabins. We were all kind of splitting between people. And we, I, we actually got it with me. Um, we read In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. And I, as I thought about that moment, the retreat, we were talking about the life of Henry Nowen and how he laid aside all his academic credentials to live among people that were um, experiencing severe disabilities and to work among people experiencing severe disabilities. I'm like, and we're practically living it right now because we're all friends with each other. We all, you all know, care about each other. And that was, that was how we, you know, we just made that an important part of how do we create relationships of equals? And it was, it, you know, and we would see people come in who wanted to be a part of that, um, who typically would, that would not be their circle. But, you know, one guy who became part of our core, really one of our core leaders, him and I were working together as instructional assistants at the local high school. And we were going down, this was before I was working for Food for Souls, and, but we went down to clean up a camp. And he decided he wanted to volunteer with me. And then he started coming along and serving meals with us. And then I said, yeah, hey, we're doing this whole Bible study thing. He goes, I haven't been in a church in a while, but I like the people that are, what the people that are in this group do, and I want to be a part of it. Yeah. And he became one of our core members. That's awesome. And um, really, I mean, still a good friend. And one of those guys that could come around and play, you know, Jackbox games at our house <laughs> on the TV. Yeah. nights. We always made sure we, it was one of the people we had to make sure we connected with before we moved out of Indianapolis. So. Ooh, I know we were running low on time, but there's one more question in here that I, uh, can we try to get to it? Sure. Let's go for it. All right. Um, I would guess a lot of people will listen to this and be very excited about the success you had leading a community to be very missional. 
but I, I also know that it's just challenging to like achieve, like accomplish that, whatever language you want to use. Um, yeah. How, how do you, how did you do it? How did you guide a faith community to live missionally? Um, well, I think, you know, modeled it for, for a big part of our lives. Um, people knew that we were going to be, we weren't going to ask them to do anything we weren't willing to do ourselves. Um, and I think just, I think in a lot of it, like I said before, we just broke down that us and them thinking, um, you know, and brought up the idea that we're all equals, you know, and it wasn't always easy. We had challenging times. We had times we learned to live through all the emotions of community together. Um, you know, you had the victory times and we had, we had people die plain and simple. You know, I shared the one story. But I think I did more memorials than I ever did weddings in the, that time period in my life. Yeah. Um, which, you know, clergy kind of always try to think about those type of things, but I had to adjust. We, we made a point of adjusting our expectations because, you know, I was trained in traditional or prevailing model church thinking. And so on how you start a church and I did, you know, and how you, you know, you want to bring people, you know, grow it. And, you know, we had to be comfortable with that. Some people were not going to mesh with this community well, and they may come through for a while and they just may figure out it's not their thing, but we had to be okay with that. And it's actually something I had to grow in too, is to understand that it, sometimes it's okay if people don't, long-term commit to us long-term um so we had to adjust our expectations a lot um and then also i think the fact that we had you know we experienced things where i mean we one time we lost a guy by suicide and that was that was a hard season to go through and we all grieved deeply for that season um and um you know in fact our oldest daughter came to me at that time and she was like dad we have these people that become a part of our life they're in our house and then they die and that's hard sometimes and you just have to learn how to talk about grief and things like that in those yeah. seasons uh, because when you're with people who are living on the very edge of life where danger is happening all the time anything can happen anything can happen you know um but we also had times when things, I mean, I have to say, one person, we didn't lose. And it was, it's like a miracle every time because there were at least three or three times he was on his way to, and, you know, one time a branch broke. One time he managed to call the cop, the ambulance just in time to get him into the hospital and you know, cause he had a second thought of, but so many times we could have lost that person, Yeah. but yet he, we didn't. And so it's like, you see this mix and you're like, you just realize you're going to be involved in the messiness of people's lives. But you, you love no matter what. And you love like Jesus, no matter what.
Cool. I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> this has been fun. This is this is different. It's like going, oh man, I I so prefer to like ask the questions, <laughs> not answer the questions. Uh, but this has been fun. Uh, and I, Tina's like, yeah, Tina Tina's apparently watching, and she's like, that was a great retreat. Oh, oh yeah. The other fun part with that retreat, uh, we were out hiking on the creek, and the girls were out hiking with one of one of our guy, one of the guys that um had transition on homelessness and um they went off to a different part of the creek up up the hill or up over the waterfalls and they came back and they're like dad we saw a copperhead and i'm like <laughs> and he took pictures and i looked at it and i said yeah because i mean these other snakes look like i'm going yeah, yeah the pits are there that's a copperhead <laughs> oh this is it was yeah just experience watching people experience that type of stuff together is just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Leon, thanks so much. We could have a lot more conversation, <laughs> but we are out of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one's going a little long. I can tell, but should we talk um, about two weeks? Yeah, we should. Um, We have been talking about, the like six dynamics that we kind of feel are essential to church at Communitas. Um, so I think we did one like six weeks back and then two weeks back. And we're talking about the last of the six, the last two of the six dynamics in two weeks with Mike and Bethany. So those dynamics are hub and extend. And those conversations with Mike and Bethany have been a blast. So we invite you guys to join for that. All right. Yeah, we look forward to seeing everybody again in two weeks. Leon, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for In the Room with Communitas North America. In the show notes, you will find links to any resources we mentioned during the, our conversation. If you are interested in learning more about connecting and working with Communitas North America in our mission of starting and shaping faith communities that love like Jesus, click on the link for our website in the show notes to learn more and fill out the contact form. We hope you will be joining us again soon.